Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! Yeah. How about that? as the Sweet 16 of the best World Series winner since 1980 continues on. Find out which teams the guys like as we have eight juicy matchups in the Sweet 16. Do you like the 84 Tigers? How about those 97 Marlins with the big upset last week? And now... Mike Govia and Chris Deary bring you all the World Series winners action. Take it away, boys! It's time for everybody's favorite baseball, fantasy, regular baseball, classic baseball podcast. It's the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo baseball podcast. I am your co-host, Michael Govier, along with my co-host, Christopher Deary. What's up, Chris? How's it going, Mike? Yeah, you know me, man. Just sitting at the dining room table talking to you about baseball. I'm in my dungeon. Same place, same time, every Wednesday. Yeah, we're always here. Every Wednesday, kicking out a show. We're here, and we're ready to focus on the continuation of the saga known as the greatest World Series winning championship team since 1980. What do you think of all the results you've seen and where we're at, Chris? Any shockers? So we're down to 16 teams here. We are in the round of 16. The Sweet 16 started with 40. It's kind of been chalk most of the way here, but we do have one massive upset from this past round here as the 1997 Marlins pull off a shocker Taking down the number one seed, 2018 Red Sox, certainly a shock to me. We've talked about it for a couple pods now, how we all felt the 03 Marlins were the better of the two Marlins teams in this bracket, but the 97 Marlins get it done. Edgar Renteria with a walk-off here in game seven against the 18 Red Sox. <laughs> so the Red Sox fall. Uh, we got another Red Sox team that fell as well this past week, I believe. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, well, the 2007 Red Sox were not up to the task, unfortunately. I think they would have bet on that team to win. But, uh, hey, in this bracket we have, we rely on the fan vote, and that is the final word. We will not change the votes. We will not change the final results at all. What you see is what you get. They got taken down by the 19 Nationals, who I voted for on the pod last week. I believe Steve voted for them as well. Uh, where were you at on that, Mike? you remember? 
I can't remember. I think I took the, I may have taken the Red Sox. I had a lot of respect for them, but I can't remember exactly. So I, I thought the Nationals are a fun team. They deserve to win. So, I mean, it was a, of all the vote totals we had on every matchup, this was one of the heavier vote totals we had. So it got a decent amount of play, but they're Red Sox fans. Like I said last week, they're all old as hell. They obviously aren't online enough because I tried to tag people annoy people hey red sox fans get your fan base organized and nobody seemed to care you're giving up huh well the the uh 2004 red sox advance they beat the 80 phillies who we talked about barely the though yeah we talked about the phillies having some flaws and only being a, a two-headed monster there with carlton and schmidt so the 04 red sox they advance but they're gonna have to take on the 98 yankees here in the next round uh so that that'll be tough but we have a yankees versus red sox matchup here hopefully the fan bases show out this week and we can see who really represents uh, the East Coast here. Yeah, that's definitely the marquee matchup, most likely. Fortunately, our 84 Tigers survived the Reds 52-47. to 47. It was a tight matchup. It was not easy as the Reds were willing to go six, almost seven games in this one. But the Tigers prevail. And now we have the next round to talk about. And we'll talk about who beat who as we go through each matchup. So let's review. We're in the Sweet 16. This is the Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Best World Series winner since 1980 bracket. We've been doing it for the last couple of shows here. We, I've heard some feedback. Some of you guys seem to enjoy it. I talked to somebody the other day on a Zoom call, and he said, oh, yeah, I've been listening to the pod about the, the uh, World Series tournament. I've been digging it. So people seem to like it, Deary. So that's cool. That's and, I, I, I'm enjoying it. So uh, if I'm having a good time, uh, I think people need to check in. They can have a good time as well. Right. Well, we gotta we gotta enjoy what we do, and that's all that matters here. It is fun talking about these old school teams, watching old YouTube clips of World Series championships and games where things could have gone. I was watching the '92 Blue Jays Braves series. It went six games, but Game Six went to extra innings, and the Braves were in every one of those games for the most part. It was a very tight series. The Blue Jays of '92 were not like a a stellar world beater, and I think I agree with you saying the '93 team was better. There was uh, – MLB Network's been playing a ton of these old games, which is super, super cool. Even ESPN was getting into it. Last night I had to pick on ESPN. They were showing the 88 Game 1 of the Dodgers series. But on our local station, Fox Sports Detroit, they're showing Game 2 of the 89 NBA Finals, Pistons-Lakers. So I actually checked in on the, the Pistons-Lakers game because I have watched that Dodgers-A's game multiple times. So going back and checking in on that 89 uh, Pistons-Lakers series, which, you know, we, we were, let's see, eight, eight and a half turning nine years old that summer. So uh, it was cool to look back on that and just uh, – I didn't, I didn't remember things that happened in game two of that series. But, uh, yeah, that's basketball, and uh, that's what I was doing last night. But, yeah, what I, what I said is uh, been a ton of really cool uh, old-school games that they've been showing. Oh, I remember the uh, 89 Lakers-Pistons finals. I w- we were living in a motel at that moment. I remember <laughs> it was June of 89. Okay. We'd, uh, we'd left living in a house with this, my, this guy that we'd been living with. My mom had been moving us in with, and we were uh, – things did not end well there. So we ended up staying at a motel before we moved into an apartment. And I remember watching uh, one of those games on the shitty motel television. So it'll always uh, stick with me. That was a fun moment. That's not bad boys right there, baby. They brought some glory and happiness to a little boy during a difficult time. So that was nice. If you like what you hear on this show, this is the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. If you've never listened to us before, if you like hearing about depressing motel memories, then hit us up at Palazzo Podcast on Twitter, Instagram. And, of course, you can email us, 
Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's at ProtonMail.com. Okay, we welcome feedback on this tournament. If you want to complain that you're not hearing enough fantasy talk, we, we would love to hear you complain about that as well. So bring it on. Tell us what you think. We're doing the best we can here, and we do it because we enjoy it, and we like to connect with you guys. So, dear, let's get into uh, round the Sweet 16 here, man. Let's get into the next round. We're going to start from the upper left corner, as always. The game that you just mentioned, 98 Yankees, 2004 Red Sox. Yankees, Red Sox, like it used to be in the glory days of when both these two teams used to play in that era. What are we thinking in this matchup? Who's got the advantage? Who's got the disadvantage? I mean, we're going to focus. We've talked about the seasons that all of these teams have had, so we kind of know if you've been listening to the last couple episodes. If not, go back and listen to each round. We break down the basically the regular seasons these teams had, the playoff runs. So we're going to focus on the actual matchup. So opening salvo. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of lead off with the, the Yankees lineup here in 98 and what they were specifically able to do in the World Series. We talked about 114 wins during the regular season, one of the best teams of all time, just a murderer's real lineup with a really nice veteran pitching staff. You know, as they, they cruise through the playoffs and, and, and a super lopsided World Series against the Padres, they take them down 4-0. Uh, the Yankees lose one game all of the whole playoff in, in 98 here. And, you know, of all the world beaters they had on their team here, you're talking Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill. I mean, guys in their lineup that could really just mash. And none of those guys really showed out when it got to the World Series. I mean, Jeter had, you know, Jeter had six hits, but only had one RBI. Uh, Paul O'Neill has four hits in the series. He has a super low batting average on the season. He didn't really do much in the season or in the series. But Scott Brocious is the guy that just shows up when the series happens. He winds up with two home runs, six RBIs, three runs, eight hits in the series, and ends up being your, your World Series MVP. And this is a guy that batted near the end of the lineup. So just goes to show you when you get to the series and you're going to be a really good championship squad, you need these lesser-known guys, the non-superstars, to show up. And that's how you can win series like this. And, you know, their uh, big bats didn't have to do much when it got to the World Series. So he bats 471. A guy like Ricky Lede. He gets six hits and 10 at-bats, bats 600. I mean, even, uh, you know, Tito Mar Martinez did have a pretty good series. Chuck Knobloch had a pretty good series. But, uh, boy, that lineup, when, when you got guys like Scott Brocious producing and you got the defense behind you, I mean, it was a super lopsided World Series. The Padres were able to put up six runs in the first game, but, you know, they, they gave up nine. So they just gave up way too many too many runs in, in the series. And by the time you got to game four, I mean, Yankees lose – win game three, five, four. So they, they, they win a close one there. The loss goes to Trevor Hoffman, of course. And then in game, in game four, Andy Pettit shuts, shuts it down. He has an unbelievable matchup against Kevin Brown and he takes, takes down Kevin Brown and they win the series and he wins three, nothing. And Rivera gets his sixth save of the postseason. So he was an absolute beast. He's at the height of his powers then. So this team is just super tough and it's, it's a tough matchup for these 0-4 Red Sox. The New York Yankees of 98, enough said, really, right? Like, enough said dominoes from Ocean's Eleven. Remember those? That's all you need I don't to say. That. Oh, yeah. Bernie Mac, like, he runs that domino thing. Yeah, it's enough said dominoes. Ah, okay. I mean, I've I seen the movie a couple times. I love it. I think it might be Ocean's 12. It's part of the franchise either way. Okay. 
The Red Sox pitching staff in the World Series, it's pretty good, but then it slips a little bit because Tim Wakefield started one game in the World Series. So you're going to have to deal with Pedro and Kurt Schilling, but then Tim Wakefield and Derek Lowe are the other starters. They ended up sweeping the World Series in 04, so that's all we had to go on. But that would be the four core starters. Johnny Damon, Lando Cabrera, Manny Ramirez at the top of the lineup. In that series against the Cardinals, they had some guys who hit really well. Manny Ramirez hit 412. Bill Miller hit 429. It's a very, very difficult lineup to get through. I think it's uh, maybe slightly better than the Yankees lineup uh, from top to bottom. But the Yankees pitching top to bottom with the bullpen, I think, is better than what the Red Sox have to offer. So that's what makes this an intriguing matchup. I'm not sure which way to go in this one. It's a, it's a tough call, man. Well, it's almost like the Red Sox have five or six Scott Brocious's on the team that all came out and performed. I mean, you talked about, you know, Bill Miller batting 429 in the series. Mark Bellhorn comes off the bench and adds some hits, ended up with four RBIs, walked five times. Uh, Johnny Damon, you know, he, he gets on base, you know, a bunch in the series. Guys, just they have four or five Scott Brocious's, and the way that that team was trending after the high of the ALCS, there was there's really no way I saw them losing that series to a, a, a very competent Cardinals team that just didn't show up. And uh, you know, we when you look at these bullpens, the the Red Sox bullpen, I mean, Keith Folk was really a dominant force throughout the season. So he was really, really good. And you talk about the, those two starters. I mean, anytime you have to face Schilling and Martinez, it's going to be a really, really tough, you know, path to cross because those guys are those guys are Hall of Famers. I think Schilling probably gets in here in the next couple of years. And obviously Pedro is, you know, Pedro. And, you know, this is the 4 season. I mean, he's, he's putting up ridiculous numbers in an era where everyone's bashing the ball. I mean, I really love Andy Pettit. I mean, he was, you know, just getting towards his prime. He was a 16-game winner that season. Uh, David Wells was a, had an incredible season, winning a bunch of games. And then you got 35-year-old David Cohn that, you know, he's at the end of his career, and he's trying to get that championship, that elusive championship. And uh, they were able to take care of business. So this is a tougher matchup than I had originally thought. I didn't give the 04 Red Sox a ton of credit. But, you know, looking at their World Series run and looking back at this team and thinking about those those other guys on that squad that really could show up and help you out, I think this makes it a tough matchup. Mike Timbaland is in the Red Sox bullpen, and I was watching him in the 92 series for the Jays. He was young in 92, and he came in in a crucial situation and helped close out game six of the 92 series to beat the Braves. He got the final out, so that was cool. But now Timlin's an older man in 2004, but he brings that veteran experience in the back of the bullpen. I think with Keith Falk, he's a badass, but the rest of the bullpen's a little questionable. And if I had to pick in this one, I mean, Bernie Williams had a horrible series in 98. If we're trying to take the context of what they did in the year specifically, which does matter, Bernie Williams had a, a 400 OPS in the World Series after he had about 1,000. He had a 997 OPS during the regular season. He actually had a really terrible series. So if he's going to struggle, that hurts them a little bit. But other guys picked him up, so I guess it didn't matter because Scott Brocious, Derek Jeter, Chuck Knobloch were picking everybody up. Ricky Leday in only 10 at-bats, but he batted 600 in the 98 World Series. So I think that – I think I'm going to go with the Yankees in this one. But I would love to see this somehow. I mean, we could simulate this out if we really wanted to to, to show people – 
we have I have out of the park baseball now, and you can do simulations all day, and it would be fun. I'm actually thinking maybe I would do a simulation of this bracket. Um, It'd be fun after I'd after the voting's over for this. Yeah, set it up. I mean, it's it's weird because it's two teams that weren't challenged at all in the World Series. Uh, I was wrong. The Yankees did lose two games uh, in the ALCS, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, yeah, the Red Sox sweep the Cardinals, Yankees sweep the Padres, so it's kind of just two under overwhelming world series and i think you got to look at some of the other series in the playoffs i mean Yank- or uh, red sox beat a really tough angels team in the division series 3-0 and then they have the epic series against the yankees so you know in a fictional world where you actually have the 04 red sox coming off that amazing world or alcs against the 04 yankees and now they're stepping in to play the 98 yankees in a real world setup here I mean, Boston Red Sox are on this huge high, and the Yankees have a ton of confidence. So it's almost similar to that ALCS. I think if I were to make a pick, I'm I'm leaning towards the Yankees because I I just think that they're too strong of a team, top to bottom, and that bullpen is is deadly. But I think the Red Sox would give them a challenge for sure. Oh, absolutely! I, I think this would be a really good series, and I really think the Red Sox, if this was simulated 10 times, I think the Red Sox could win this four times, maybe five times. I think this is a closer series just because they're so battle-tested. They've had a lot of playoff experience coming into 2004 as well. And with a few changes that were made with getting rid of Nomar over the summer and having guys like Dave Roberts off the bench, Bill Miller, Kevin Millar. I mean, I want to pick the Red Sox, but I'm going to pick the 98 Yankees. I have to – I got to go with it. They're just – they're just too good, and they're the best version of the whole dynasty, and they deserve it no matter how much it's not fun for me to pick them. <laughs> All right, so that's what we would do. Now we move to the next matchup in this region. The winner of that matchup will take on the winner of the 1995 Atlanta Braves versus another Yankees team still alive, the 99 Yankees. So <laughs> more Yankees and a team that played the next year, but – I'm going to focus a little bit on this Braves team. So the 95 Braves had a great run. They beat the Indians to claim the title in a battle of teams that have uh, racist logos and trademarks, which is unfortunate. (laughs) However, uh, they smoked the Reds in the NLCS, as we talked about with Guile on the last episode. Steve was very displeased. And they beat the Colorado Rockies in the NLDS three games to one. This is the only championship-winning team of the Braves dynasty, which is unfortunate. Avi Lopez, Fred McGriff, Mark Lemke and company. It's a fun team. Everybody knows about the addition of Greg Maddox in 93 with Smoltz and Glavin. Steve Avery was fading a little bit by this time, but he had had some great runs. And in the World Series, Marquise Grissom batted 360. He played quite well. Uh, He had had a, a very solid regular season. A solid, not a great one, but he played much better in the World Series. And Ryan Klesko batted 313 in the series, had three home runs. So the offense really stepped up when the offense had always kind of failed the Braves. I've watched, like I said, the 92 series. I watched the 91 series. I've seen the Braves in action over here prior to the 95 winning team, and it's been disappointing. And I always said after reviewing it all that the number one issue for them was not pitching it was just a shortage of offense if they had not had Sid Bream on a couple of those World Series teams so they had like an actual power hitting first baseman I know Sid Bream like he slid at home on the Francisco Cabrera hit in the 92 NLCS but 
if they had had a guy like uh, Fred McGriff at first base on those teams, I think it could have been a difference maker. I really do. Yeah, I'm on board with that for sure. So what do you think of this matchup? Well, I mean, yeah, going, going back to the this Yankee or this Braves team, I, like you said, I, I don't think it's the strongest of all their Braves teams. Uh, you know, you talked about Marquise Grissom putting up an amazing, uh, you know, series, but uh, it's all about pitching when you get to the series. And Greg Maddox throws a complete game in game one. Uh, he goes uh, one and one in the series, even though his ERA was 2-2-5. Uh, Tom Glavin was lights out through 14 innings, 1.29 ERA. He wins two games, including game six. And they didn't even need Smoltz in this in this series. Smoltz gets bombed in game three, gives up four runs, yanked after two and a third. Yet somehow they still come back into the game, take it to extra innings. They lose the game, but then they turn around the next day and Steve Avery has a really good game. So Steve Avery being that fourth guy, I mean, it's a four-headed monster at this point. Everybody talks about, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, but Steve Avery, Avery was a really, really solid pitcher. Could have been a number one or a number two on some other teams, and this was right when he was really starting to uh, play pitch very well, so when you got to deal with a, a starting pitching staff like that, and then Mark Wallers was really, really good that year too, so he's he's the guy shutting down out of the bullpen. You got some long relief guys with guys like Kent Merker and, you know, some setup guys here and there, so uh, it, it's, it's a tough pitching staff to, to overcome. I mean, in the series, they beat the Indians, and this was a really good Indians team as well. I mean, they, they got some really good studs on their team. Oral Hershiser pitched two games for them. Obviously, he was kind of right at the end of his career. He's, of course, the hero of the 88 series. And, you know, Denny Martinez is on this team, Ken Hill. I mean, they got some serious pitches pitchers in their staff as well, and Jose Mesa was their closer. So they could match you pitching or maybe just be a step behind what the Braves did. So they – Braves beat a really good Indian team. I would have loved to have seen what this Braves could, team could have done over a, a whole season. Of course, obviously the season was a little shorter because of the of the strike the year before. So uh, this is a really tough team. And you know, on the flip side, we got the 99 Yankees. We talked about how this 99 Yankees team didn't have the same magic as the 98 Yankees. They weren't. They didn't win as many games. They didn't do everything in convincing fashion. But the 99 team is very similar to the 98 team. A lot of the same players are there. Uh, they added a couple pieces. A guy like Roger Clemens is is there now. And, uh, you know, they take care of a Braves team as well. That was a really good Braves team. And they swept the Braves. And they beat in this series. They beat Maddox. And they beat Smoltz. So, it's a game team as well. So, so we'll see. This is a tough match. Andy Pettit was terrible. But the other three starters in the World Series – all pitched at least seven innings. El Duque, David Cohn, and Roger Douchebag Clemens, seven and two-thirds innings, seven innings, seven innings. Uh, very minimal, zero ERAs, 1.29, 1.17. These are all great outings. You take away the Pettit start, and the starters were dominant. Ariano Rivera gets the World Series MVP for going four and two-thirds innings with two saves and no runs given up. So the pitching staff is really good, and – Bernie Williams bounced back to have a better World Series than he did the year before. Still not great. Again, the leaders in the house are Scott Broches, Chuck Knobloch, Derek Jeter. These are the guys who are making the difference for this Yankees team, but it's still a similar Ricky Lade's back again. Although he hit 600 in 10 at-bats in the previous series, he only hit 200, but again, in 10 at-bats in the following series. So a lot of the similar names are still on this team, and they're bringing consistency 
the 95 Braves are coming off the strike year and all that stuff. And it's a very strange time, but I'm so glad they got one title and it's unfortunate it had to come against Indians who deserved to get a title somewhere in the decade of the nineties. They did not get it. I say the Braves would win this matchup. I think they would. I know it sounds crazy, but if I had to choose, I think the Braves have the pitching that is just as good as what the Yankees have, if not slightly better. And now they have the offense, which is a little bit better and can give them clutch hitting from guys like Fred McGriff or Chipper Jones. And David Justice has been around the block a lot. So I think, uh, I think that's where I would go with this. I'm going to think I'm going to take the 95 Braves in this one. As am I. And it's just what you said. It's the pitching staff. Uh, I've talked about my affinity for Greg Maddox on this show before. I think he's, he goes out, sets the tone for game one and you got Glavin coming out. And I think Smoltz, Smoltz would be better in, in a, in a series like this. So yeah, I would, I would take the Braves. Like you said, competent lineup. That's going to have to, you know, show up when it needs, when it counts, they're, it's They're going to have to have their Scott Brocious moments uh, yep. that, that the Yankees team seem to have. So. I'm going to go with the Braves, too. I think this team was a really, really good team. Obviously, we didn't see a full season. And I think some of these teams maybe after this were better than this Braves team. But this was still a really good Braves team. We're at the height of of them coming into being a dynasty. So they get their World Series in 95, and I think they would get their uh, series win here. I agree. Let's move down to the next region. It's our favorite 84 Tigers, the team that got by the Reds in a real – Real tight one. The Reds of 1990 bow out to the 84 world champs. The Tigers are going up against the current division rivals, the 1991 Minnesota Twins. And this is fun. I'm so glad the Tigers and Twins get to go head-to-head and we can get a vote on which team is the better team after the 87 ALCS was stolen from them by that garbage Twins team. Now we have redemption, a chance for opportunity. What do you think, Deary? What are you looking at here in this matchup? I'm looking at the clutch hitting of the Tigers. I mean, Kirk Gibson easily could have been the World Series MVP. Uh, you know, he has, you know, Trammell ends up winning the MVP because Trammell goes out, bats 450, puts up six RBIs. But, I mean, Gibby had two huge home runs. Obviously, the one that pretty much clinched it in game five, he puts up seven RBIs in the series. So, your your two best players, when you got, you know, Gibby and Trammell, they showed out in the World Series. They, they, they were there, and they had a great series. Obviously, they played great defense. The Padres just kind of melted down in this series. Dick Williams made a couple really, really questionable calls, obviously leaving Gossage in against, against Gibby. Allen Wiggins has a terrible series. He commits several errors. Uh, so this wasn't that great of a Padres team. You know, I wish that the Cubs, looking back to the 1984 season, the Cubs was the team that was supposed to come out of – the National League, and they get upset by the Padres. I would have loved to have seen the Tigers take on the Cubs and extend that curse. Obviously, we talked about, you know, how good Jack Morris was in the series. He had two victories. A guy like Dan Petrie, I was looking at Dan Petrie the other day, and I was looking at his numbers through his first six years with the Tigers. We're talking, I believe it was 81 to 87. The guy won 89 games in his first six years in, in the league with an ERA in the mid threes, he was a really, really solid pitcher. And he's not someone I, you know, really focused in on or thought about when I thought about the pitching staff of of the Tigers back in 84, but you know, he, he was right in the middle of becoming a really, really solid major league pitcher. He comes out, he does lose game two, but you know, he was a guy that if you're putting them up against the 91 twins in a series, he's a guy that could really come out and, and show out and have a good, a good game within the series. And, 
this Tigers bullpen, Aurelio Lopez and Willie Hernandez, I talked about last week. If you get to the seventh inning, these guys can eat up the next three innings. So this is a tough matchup for anybody. You got the clutch hitting. You got the excellent management of Sparky Anderson, the Hall of Famer, and an excellent bullpen for the Tigers. And, you know, they were on the highest of highs within this year. They came out to the 35-5 and record and, you know, easily won the division by a whole bunch of games. And they their confidence is super high. This was a team that had been building for a few years, and they finally got to the top of that cliff and, and took out the Padres in five. Jack Morris is on both of these squads, and he had great World Series for both of these teams. So which Jack Morris prevails? Obviously, the Twins have the old man, the older version. Jack Morris is in his prime in 84. He's uh, towards the end of his career in 91, but he pitched the legendary 10-inning game in Game 7, but he had two wins, an ERA of two, and 18 innings, two complete games against the Padres. He was fantastic. So that would be a lot of fun to see which Jack Morris prevails. For the Twins, their offense was bizarre. It was very odd. If you look within the numbers in the World Series against the, uh, the Braves, which is still argued to be one of the best World Series of any bracket team that won in this bracket of ours. It, this is one of the, the best World Series matchups of, the, of uh, 40 years of baseball. And the, tw- the Twins deserve to be respected for that much more than the 87 team. This is not the 87 team. This is a solid team. But Ken Herbeck bats 115 in the series. Greg Gandy <laughs> bats 167 in the series. Shade Mack bats 130 in the series. These are guys who all had 23 or more bats in a seven-game World Series. You start looking at that, it's like three guys who are batting well below 180, but yet Brian Harper bats 381. Chuck Knobloch, the youngster coming up, bats 300. Of course, Kirby Puckett did what Kirby Puckett did in game six. It was so impressive to see how this team was able to come up with the runs. I, 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 there was so many one-run games in the series with the Braves and the Twins. There was one, two, three, four, five one-run games out of seven. So, yeah, the other two games is game five is a 14-5 blowout. The Braves just blow out the Twins and go up three games to two. And then game one was was five to two, where, you know, Morris came out and got the win there. But, yeah, like you said, every other game's a one-inning game, a one-run game, three games going to extra innings. So that's, you know, when they talk about the 91 series being an epic series, it absolutely was. I remember it very well. Game three goes into extra innings. Uh, Braves win that one 5-4 at home. And then, you know, something needs to be said about the Twins being able to be home for game seven as well. Uh, I've never really thought of home field advantage being such a big deal in baseball. But the talk, when you talk about 91 and you talk about this Braves team, and even when you talk about the 87 team too, they talk about how, the Metrodome was a place that was a huge, huge advantage. It was super loud in there. They really got behind their team, and you know they pull off the amazing one nothing ten inning game for Game Seven. Jack Morris goes the distance. Jack Morris goes four and zero in the playoffs. I mean, it's pretty much the main reason this guy got into the Hall of Fame is because he could show up when it when it mattered most, and that was in the series. So, but so yeah, so odd. I mean, the Twins didn't mash the ball around, but they got. Good help from the bullpen and excellent starting pitching. So, Yeah, to see Alan Trammell and Kirk Gibson go against their former teammate Jack Morris in later life, would that be a lot of fun? And to see it in the, the Homer Dome of the Metrodome, 
would be challenging because this Tiger Steve was incredible all year long in 84, but that would be the most difficult venue they've ever seen. And I wonder if they would be able to handle it. I think they would prevail. I'm thinking the Tigers would win this series. I do think it would be tighter just because the twins have that home field advantage. And if we're, if we're going better record, the Tigers would get the better record and then home field advantage. But if it was just like a flip of the coin and the twins got home field advantage, it would be interesting to see if they could maybe take this to seven games. But I think in the end, regardless of how it played out, the Tigers would beat the twins in a fictional situation with a, Solid bench, great pitching, good defense, real clutch hitting, as you said. I think it's just too much to overcome. And the Twins would be a hell, a hell of an underdog and would give it a battle, but they just could not win this series. I think the Twins would be able to win at home. I think they win two games at home, but I think the issue would be is they would have to go on the road. And, you know, that Tigers lineup just looking at, you know, Trammell, Whitaker, Gibson, Parrish. I mean, those are your first four guys that you have to deal with in that lineup, and two of those guys are getting on base. But all four of them can put the ball out of the park. It's going to be really, really tough on that 91 twin team. So I, I would take the Tigers in six. Wow, Tigers in six. So the winner of the Tigers-Twins matchup would take on the winner of this matchup in the bottom half of the region. It's the 2016 two-seed Chicago Cubs against the upstart number six seed in the Sweet 16, Arizona Diamondbacks of 2001, who've come off a victory against the 09 Yankees. Moving forward, Deary, this would be a fun matchup. This is the uh, less traditional matchup, Cubs-Diamondbacks. It's not some type of rivalry necessarily, but there is a lot of fun treats and nuggets in this matchup that I could see. I see a great series brewing because – the Cubs had a hell of a run during the regular season, but they battled in the World Series they played in against the Cleveland Indians. And then everybody knows about the series that the Diamondbacks played against the Yankees in 2001. So both these teams went seven games. Both of these World Series were thrillers coming down to the wire. What is your analysis of D-backs, Cubs? This is one of the toughest matchups we've seen. I mean, both teams go through epic World Series uh, both teams were down. Both teams were down 3-2 in the series and had to win, you know, game six and game, game seven to take it all. Obviously, the 2001 series is one of the most memorable series of my lifetime. It was a series of close games and a series of blowouts. Uh, the Diamondbacks come out, out of the gate. Kurt Schoen throws a gem in game one, and they beat the Yankees 9-1, just like that. Game two happens. You know, the Diamondbacks have home field in this. Game two happens got to face Randy Johnson. They win that game 4 nothing. So through two games, it's 13-1 to Diamondbacks. Yankees get to go home. Roger Clemens pitched really well in game three. Yankees win game three 2-1. to The next game goes to extra innings. Yankees win that one as well, 4-3. to So Yankees have tied the series up. And then, you know, game five can go either way. And, you know, in another epic game, as we just saw, I felt like every game was a walk-off or Byung-Yung Kim just blowing it. The guy who was really good all season long, he just started to fall apart in these in games four and five specifically. And Yankees win game five, and you know, Yankee Diamondbacks are down. They're they're down three games to two, but they know they got the they got the the aces. They got those pocket aces left still. Uh, Randy Johnson uh, goes in game six, but the offense shows up in game six. They win game game six, fifteen to two, and then game seven, just an epic game seven. You got. Schilling and Johnson. Johnson comes in at the end, 
to finish it off. And, you know, you get one of the most improbable uh, comebacks in Major League history. And what an exciting end as Luis Gonzalez uh, hits that little looper to center field. Craig Council scores and they take the series. Yeah, that was a classic series, a wild series. Crazy stuff went on in that one. The Cubs-Indians, everybody knows about that because it's a little more recent. If you've been watching baseball the last 5, 10 years or all of your lifetime, the Rajay Davis home run really surprised people. The Indians came back in that, and then the rain delay, and then the 10th inning, and then the Cubs <laughs> prevail over the Indians and a heartbreaker for Cleveland fans. The Cle- Like you said, home field advantage. Doesn't always matter that much. It mattered for Minnesota in the Homer Hanky Dome. But the Cleveland Indians lost to the Cubs at home in Game 7 with everything to win. Everything on the line. Another curse of the Indians. I mean, a, a long streak of the Indians that was ready to be busted. The Cubs busted their own instead. Aroldis Chapman was crucial for them. The Cubs had a team that, you know, Bobby Baez bets 167 in the series. Not great. Strikes out 13 times, not ideal either, but that's the world we live in now, the strikeout numbers. Looking at the strikeout numbers for this series versus what we were looking at in the 84 series matchup with the Twins and the Tigers is much different, and that's, that's just the sign of the times. But the Cubs pitching, I think, is really undervalued, and they deserve credit because they battled hard. John Lester goes 14 innings, has a 3.6 ERA. Jake Arrieta, 2.38. Kyle Hendricks, nine innings, one ERA. He pitched a great game in that series. In particular, I remember that game well. He stood out, and Aroldis Chapman gives seven to two-thirds innings. He was used a lot. Five games he was used in the World Series. So that bullpen was taxed. Chapman was everything. He was the bullpen. When I say the bullpen was taxed, I mean Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, I, I when we talked about this team last week, I talked about how – the secret sauce to this team was their pitching staff. Their pitching staff was unbelievable all season long. And, you know, they had some really excellent offensive players as well. I mean, Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber had just come along, and he had a really good second half and started getting starts out there in left field. They were able to DH him on the road. He hits 412 in the series. Uh, Chris Bryant, you know, he bats 269 in the series, a couple home runs. But, Guys like Ben Zobris and Addison Russell really showed up for them and became those key key cogs in the wheel that could really, you know, put things together, manufacture some runs. And like you said, that pitching staff was just deadly. I mean, I, w- I was actually wrong about this. I thought they were down three games to two. They're actually down three games to one to the Indians in this series. And, you know, that game five, they could have laid down right there and it could have all been over. And John Lester comes out and he pitches an excellent game. They win that one three, two. And then, once you're able to get it to 3-2, you got a shot. But the problem is they had to go on the road. They had to go to Cleveland. So I can't believe how devastating it's got to be for Cleveland Indians fans. You got a 3-2 series lead and you're heading back home against the team that has obviously been cursed forever. And they don't even show up in game six. And then the, everything, all the wildness happens in game seven. Chapman was an unbelievable pickup for the Cubs in 16. Uh, just the quick rental because then he was gone right after that. And went back over to the Yankees. But uh, what a team. They end the curse. And this is a tough matchup because whatever the Cubs can throw out with their pitching staff, when you're going to have to see, see Schilling and Johnson for two, possibly three games each, it's going to be. 
Yeah, I think the bullpen of the Diamondbacks deserves a little credit. Greg Swindell uh, was able to pitch a couple innings in that series and give up no runs in three appearances, so he deserves credit for that. The bullpen is the X factor here because we all know about the two pocket aces and then Miguel Batista had an incredible series going eight innings, giving up no runs. He started one game. He pitched in another in relief. Brian Anderson was a decent. Mike Morgan goes four and two thirds in three outings. So the bullpen was besides Byung-Kung Kim's exploits and awful adventures that he had in Yankee stadium. The rest of the bullpen was really good. And if I start looking at it, I think that the clutch hitting of the Diamondbacks brings something to the table. They made hits when they needed it. They had a lot of cagey veterans with Steve Finley, Reggie Sanders, Tony Womack, Matt Williams, Luis Gonzalez. I think I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks in this series. I, I like, like You said pitching matters so much, and I agree with you. And I know that the pitching of the Cubs is underrated, but in a seven-game series, I think the Diamondbacks could go against anybody. This specific roster could go against any team and win. So I, I'm going with them. I'm leaning towards that way as well. And we talked about when we talked about the Diamondbacks last week. Sure, they have Schilling and Johnson, and Luis Gonzalez has an amazing season. That whole team was made up of veterans. All these guys were in their early to late or early to mid 30s. These guys had all been in the league for a while. They were title hungry. A guy like Matt Williams, you talked about. Uh, you know, some of the younger guys on their team, like Tony Womack. I think it's just going to be a little more balanced of a lineup than the Cubs. The Cubs don't have very much veteran leadership. A lot of kind of young guys on their team without the experience. Uh, I, I would go with the 2001 Diamondbacks and actually kind of easily. I think they, they do it five or six. Wow. How about that? After so much support for the Cubs when we seeded this tourney, now – you're going with the Diamondbacks. That's pretty wild, man. Matchup. It's a nightmare matchup for anybody in in this in this tournament. I agree. I as we broke it down, and I was looking at it earlier, and now I see the big picture. I completely agree. That's why I chose them as well. We'll see all the fans vote on this. If you want to vote, go to our Twitter page at Palazzo Podcast. Two L's, two Z's. That's how you spell Palazzo. Palazzo Podcast, Twitter page, it's pinned right at the top. The thread has all eight matchups that you can vote on. Voting goes until April 22nd at about 7 p.m., give or take. So it goes till next Wednesday. Get on there. Get the fans united. Tell people that there is a fun bracket. Tell your cousin. You know, tell a coworker you used to work with who's sitting at home bored out of their mind right now because it's quarantine time and we have nothing to do. So you might as well fill out a bracket or two. I know I filled out lots of brackets on Twitter without even meaning to because I just realized it's it's hard to get participation. And when someone puts a bracket out there, it takes two seconds to vote on. And usually these things are pretty interesting. So why not do it? Okay, let's move to the top right of the bracket now. We are halfway through this. We got four more matchups. Now here's where it gets wild. Deary's not pleased about it, but they're here. The 97 Marlins, after ousting the number one seed 2018 Red Sox, are in the Sweet 16 to take on the 83 Orioles, a team that we have a lot of respect for and we like. The 83 Orioles are coming off a solid victory, eliminating the Astros. Everybody did not want the Astros to win, and that seemed pretty clear based on the votes. Deary, these 97 Marlins, they're not your favorite team, but they're scrappy. They got veterans. They got Jim Leland. They're here. 
and they had a wild series, as we know. Everybody knows the seven-game showdown against the Indians was a, quite the affair. Can they beat this Orioles team? What do you think of this matchup? The most perplexing part about this Marlins team is is looking at their pitching statistics in the World Series. I, I would never think that a team that this, with the statistics that I'm, I'm going to share with you in a minute could win a series. Levon Hernandez is the World Series MVP. He goes 2-0. It's just 13.2 innings. I talked about this last week. He had a 5.27 ERA. He walked 10 guys. He only struck out seven, gave up eight earned runs. So he gave him more earned runs than he struck out. He's the World Series MVP. Kevin Brown, who was a very, very excellent pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the league, certainly at this time, he has two starts. He's an 8.18 ERA. He gives up 10 runs, walks five guys, only strikes out six. Al Leiter. 5.06 5.06 ERA. He doesn't win a game. So, Leiter and Brown don't win games at all. Rob Nen has their, their guy out of the bullpen. He's a 7.71 ERA. He does still get two saves, but he gave up four runs in four and two thirds. So, how did this team win games? It was clutch hitting. They were able to have clutch hitting. Guys like Moises Alou, Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla. These are three extremely good baseball players, all that were always considered some of the best baseball players in the league. They're, they're not Hall of Famers in my mind, but they are guys that were excellent, excellent major league baseball players. You talked about Jim Eisenreich last week. In limited time, he bets 500. You know, him and Charles Johnson are, you know, the two-headed monster there. Edgar Renteria, he's a rookie then. He puts up a pretty good series. So, guy like Craig Council, who we see in 2001, He's coming in there, giving you really good defense. You got Devon White, Darren Dalton, the veterans. Uh, White didn't really do too much in the series, but the clutch hitting is what really did it. And they took down a really, really good Indians team. And to win that game seven in extra innings, uh, another thrilling World Series. And uh, the Marlins get it done, and they get their first championship. So Antonio Alfonseca and Felix Heredia save this Marlins staff in the series because they go a combined 12 innings and give up no earned runs in seven games. Seven appearances. That, so that's what it is. That, that is what the, these guys should – one of these guys should have been the MVP, not, the, not LeVon Hernandez. Like you said, he gives up 10 walks. Kevin Brown has an 8 ERA. Now Leiter has a 5.06 ERA. The starters were bogus. So – I guess it's just not sexy to choose a reliever as the World Series MVP, but Alfonseca and Heredia, they deserve their due, and right now I'm giving it to them. So kudos to those guys. The 83 Orioles are a team that are so – they're the definition of a veteran squad. They got so many guys, besides Cal Ripken Jr., that are veteran pros. They know how to play the game. They know their roles. They fit into the system, and they get the job done. And in the 83 World Series – after losing game one, they won the next four and shut down this Phillies team. A guy like John Lowenstein, who was – I watched him play in this series on some video last week. He's got these ugly glasses on. He looks so unathletic, but he hit 385 in the series. He had a home run. He played and got the job done in left field for them. He only played four of the five games. They did a, they did a lot of platoons. This 83 Orioles team was big on platoons, and – especially by the time they were in the playoffs in the World Series, they were using those to maximize their advantages based on matchups. And then the pitching staff for the Orioles says it all. I mean, besides Storm Davis, who still pitched well and got a win, they had a 540 ERA. The ERAs are minuscule from the rest of the staff. They had 
a 1.60 ERA as a team for five, 12 game appearances from all the pitchers in five games played, 48, five innings, a 1.60 ERA. That's a really comprehensive overall stat of how well the team pitched. So the Orioles are a team that I think are unbeatable at times. They, they may lose a game, but in a seven-game series, this team is too reliably consistent, and I think the Marlins would be in trouble in this matchup. Yeah, so we talked about the Orioles, obviously two Hall of Famers with Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken didn't do anything in the series. Uh, the Orioles hitting, they batted 213, or yeah, they batted 213 in the series. A guy like Rick Dempsey, who was behind the plate, really good defensive catcher, couldn't hit a lick. He ends up being World Series MVP. He puts up four doubles in the series, bats 385, similar to what John Lowenstein did. Uh, Eddie Murray did his part. He had a couple home runs, so he showed up. But, yeah, that pitching staff, I mean, that's what made this team so damn good during the season is not only could they – hit home runs with Murray and Ripken and you got guys like Dan Ford coming off the bench and you know they they platooned a lot of guys that could steal bases but this pitching staff they had six to seven guys that were all starter caliber and they would just eat up innings I talked about a guy like Sammy Stewart last week he, he had a zero ERA in the World Series uh, Mike Boddicker Sammy Stewart Mike Flanagan Tippy Martinez Jim Palmer even gets a win in two innings uh, the the Phillies bet under under 200 in the series and it, it's it's interesting when you kind of look at some of these stats you're like oh well you know the offensive stats for the Orioles just weren't that incredible but they didn't need to be because they did they did what they needed to do pitching and it was only a five game series because they they were able to win these games and close games is what they did they won two to one in game one game three a very decisive game where a very important game where they go on the road and have to play in Philly they win that game three to two as Jim Palmer gets the win out of the bullpen Game four, they win another close one. Storm Davis gets the win. They win 5-4, and then in the series clincher, they win 5-0 as Scott McGregor uh, pitches a, a gem. Yeah, well, if you ask me, Deary, it's a no-brainer. I'm taking the Orioles over the Marlins, though the Marlins have a, probably a, – they do have a better offense. I would concede that. But I like the defense of the Orioles, and their platoon matchups are consistent enough to get the job done. Give me the Orioles. Yeah, I talked about the 83 Orioles and how they deserve a ton of credit because we also have to remember the era that they play in. And I think that accounts for some of their uh, statistics being a little wonky. But I think pitching definitely translates to any any era, especially in the last 40 years. And when you got guys that can get up on the mound and pitch like they did all year long and in the series, I, I like the Orioles as well in a short series. Bingo. The bottom of this bracket now, it's the 92 Blue Jays and the 2002 Anaheim Angels. The only World Series champion in Angels history is getting a shot against the 92 Blue Jays, who were the first team to win a championship outside of the United States. First team from Canada in 1992 to win the World Series. They beat the Braves in six games. The Blue Jays and the Angels will play the winner of the previous matchup we just discussed. I wonder... Some things had broken slightly different for this Braves team in that 92 series. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, this Blue Jays team might not have won this year. They, they might not have made some of the moves that led to the 93 repeat. It's so funny how these moments can make or break teams. The Braves got a grand slam from Lonnie Smith in game five. I watched him rip it off Jack Morris, who had a horrendous 
Jack Morris gets so much respect, but he had a horrible postseason in 92. Uh, I think he gave everything he had left in the tank in 91. So that was not his year, but it didn't matter because the Blue Jays have Roberto Olimar, Devon White. Dave Winfield comes around 41 years old doing his thing. He even played right field in game six to close out the series. So, and he had the game winning hit in the 11th inning of that game. So they got veterans. They got youngsters who have a lot of talent. They've got pitching. Juan Guzman is the man. I love Juan Guzman. He really started to thrive in this era. He, he only had a brief explosion of excitement and production at a high level. Uh, he, he just couldn't sustain it over a long career. But when he was right, he had really nasty stuff, probably the best stuff on his staff. And then they picked up David Cohn from the Mets uh, in August prior to the playoffs. So that solidifies the staff with Cohn, Morris, Guzman, Jimmy Key, Tom Henke still at the back of the bullpen. But Dwayne Ward is rising up as the real stud, and he would take over as the closer the next year. This is a good team, but the 2002 Angels, I think, are just as good. What do you think of this matchup, Deary? This is a tight one. I love the Blue Jays pitching staff. Uh, you talked about Dwayne Ward. You know, looking back at these Blue Jays teams from the early 90s, and I was looking at some of Dwayne Ward's numbers, this guy was filthy. I always thought as, of Hanky as being the main guy there, uh, but Dwayne Ward was really unstoppable. He won two games in the in the World Series, goes three and one. Uh, you know, Todd Sadlemeyer comes out of the bullpen. He eats up some, some innings for you. Obviously, Morris did not have a good series at all, but Juan Guzman was, was incredible. Jimmy Key, the old veteran, he comes out and gets – you know, a couple wins in nine innings. So this is a very, very capable pitching staff, even with Morris kind of being at the back end of his career. Uh, and, and the lineup, I mean, Pat Borders, Joe Carter, Dave Winfield, Ed Sprague, Devin, Devon White, these are all guys that are major league players that could really, really mash the ball. Love Roberto Alomar. Uh, he didn't really do a ton in the series, but, uh, you know, he's excellent excellent player they took down a really good Braves team that you know had gotten there for the second year in a row they were battle tested after the year before you know getting their hearts broken and the Blue Jays were able to win I mean the Blue Jays split the first two games in Atlanta and they come back home in games three and four they take care of business and win win those next two games game five that they lose in Atlanta but then game six they come out and they win another uh extra inning game and and beat the uh a really, really good Braves team. So this is a tough matchup for the Angels, but you talked about how you think that the Angels lineup uh, and maybe maybe pitching staff might be able to kind of, you know, keep pace with this 92 Blue Jays team. And I think you're right. I talked about last week, the 2002 Angels, how good that outfield was. Garrett Anderson, Darren Ustad, and Tim Salmon. And that doesn't even account for uh, third baseman Troy Gloss, who, you know, puts up, you know, an incredible season, a really good career. And they take down the Giants in seven. This was a really, really fun Angels team. I think they're they're kind of a scary team. It's much like the Diamondbacks where they can come out and they can just mash the ball. I mean, in their series, they put up, you know, 11 runs in game two against the Giants, 10 runs in game three. Uh, you know, they gave up 16 runs in game five. So, you know, that series was super exciting with the ball being hit all over the place. But this Angels offense could be really scary in a seven-game series. Angels pitching is trash, though. So that is, especially in the series, they did not perform well. Washburn, Lackey, not good. Kevin Apier, 11.37 ERA in six and a third. 
K-Rod goes four appearances. He pitches eight and two-thirds innings, strikes out 13 guys, really starts to set the tone as somebody who has an incredible K rate. He's one of the early guys for K-9 at a really high rate, and he was so impressive. He was clearly one of the, the um, X factors of their playoff run and their September run. Troy Percival was always an underrated closer. He was a good player. He deserves credit because he pitched three innings, three appearances, was solid. But the offense, as you said, is the Angels' key to success. They had really clutch hitting, made some huge plays when they needed to, being down 3-2 to two in the series and then winning the last two, 6-5 and 4-1. to one. At the, the game six was the moment. They were on the brink. Everybody remembers this. It was the famous uh, Russ Ortiz moment with Dusty Baker. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Angels were down, and things were looking pretty grim for them. But then suddenly – they scored six runs, three in the seventh, three in the eighth. Russ Ortiz, so many regrets for Giants fans. They must look back at that game, and Dusty Baker had such a great run with the Giants overall, but the moment where they decided to make this – they had this moment where Russ Ortiz is pitching well, but then they pull him, and it all hell breaks loose. That's, a, that's really unfortunate. It's it's moves like that that can cost you in the World Series. I think management is so huge when you get to the playoffs. This Angels team, we talked about how – or you just talked about how this pitching staff was trash in the series. It was a really good pitching staff during the year. Four of their starters had ERAs in the threes, and they won uh, you know double-digit games. But thank God for guys like Troy Gloss. Scott Spezio ends up being a, a World Series hero as he puts up eight RBIs, six walks. Uh, just really, really productive at bats. Garrett Anderson does exactly what he does. Tim Salmon bats 346 in the series. David Eckstein, scrappy player. Him and Darren Ertzab, two scrappy guys. They all got on base. That all, all those last three guys I mentioned all batted over 300 in the series. So I think even if this pitching staff has some difficulty, they're going to be able to mash the ball and get back into games with the long ball. Uh, it looks like they hit seven home runs in the series, so they're going to be able to hit home runs and get back into the series. So. This is, an, this is an interesting matchup because I think, although I think the 93 Blue Jays team is good, this 92 team is really, really good too because they have veterans like a Dave Winfield on their, on their team. <laughs> Dave Winfield. God, he's such a huge dude, but he's so athletic. It's incredible. Bottom line, Deary, who are we going with here? This is a tough matchup. A lot of people will be placing their votes on Palazzo Podcast on Twitter. 92 Blue Jays. 2002 Angels. I am really torn on this one. I think I am going to go with the 2002 Angels, but it's it's really tight. But I think the Blue Jays might be a slightly better team. I'm going to go with the 2002 Angels as well, uh, and it's going to be their offense. I think their offense is what shows up and, and gets, gets the win, gets the victory here. Wow. Candy Maldonado would be devastated to hear that. Sorry, Candy. All right, let's go to the final region here. It's the top half with the number one seed, 1989 Oakland Athletics, coming off a victory against their Bay Area rivals, the 2014 San Francisco Giants. And guess who's back? It's now the 93 Blue Jays. So the 93 Blue Jays and the 89 A's. This, these are teams that were in the mix in the same era. So the Blue Jays had ousted the A's to get to series. Uh, in a period of time where they end up sharing a few of the same players 
when the uh, Oakland Athletics <laughs> folded, when they gave up, when they mailed it in, they gave the Blue Jays Ricky Henderson, they gave him Dave Ho- Stewart. So this Blue Jays team and this Oakland team has similar players on both sides. We're getting more than one overlap with these two squads. Deary, what do you see as the keys to victory for either the 93 Blue Jays or this 89 A's team? This is my maybe my favorite matchup in, in the bracket. I, I talked about this, this 89 A's team. Obviously, they're at the height of their powers. They got the Bash brothers. Uh, you know, Canseco misses 100 games. You know, it ends up being a, a sweep World Series where they just blow out the Giants. But this is a really, really solid A's team. And we talked about the key to this team was their pitching. Their pitching was absolutely lights out. And in the series, it was it was just as good. I, I mean, you got when you have Dennis Eckersley, a Hall of Fame closer, and you know guys like Mike Moore, Dave Stewart, who's at the peak of his, uh, you know, powers. Uh, Gene Nelson out of the bullpen didn't really do that great in the series, but he's a guy that could eat up innings. They didn't really need the bullpen in this series as, as the starters were able to go long enough. And it, it's weird because I. I wish some of these series lasted longer so we could see more of, of what some of these teams could do. But this, this 89 A's team, I mean, when you got, I mean, Canseco is obviously back for the series. Uh, when you got Canseco and Dave Henderson and, and Ricky Henderson, Carney Lansford, Mark McGuire, all these guys are just absolute bombers in this, in this lineup. And it's such a tough lineup to go through. I mean, how are you going to navigate a lineup like that? So, so on the flip side, you got to look over at the Blue Jays and, and their pitching staff. They used a ton of pitchers in their series uh, in 93. Uh, they, they win six games over the Phillies. I think they were, in my mind, uh, the favorites. This was, a, a, I believe, a better Blue Jays team. Juan Guzman is still there. He, he puts up 12 innings. You know, Obviously, you talked about how they picked up Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart pitches 12 innings in the series as well. Uh, you know, they – they were able to piece together a bullpen with guys like Pat Hentgen, uh, Mark Icorn, Danny Cox, Tony Castillo, Todd Stoudemire is coming out of the bullpen, Mike Timlin. Obviously, Dwayne Ward is still there. He does what he does. He pitches four and two-thirds innings in the bullpen. So I think this is a capable pitching staff of the Blue Jays to, to keep them in the game. And I think the key on why this series is so tough to call is I love this Blue Jays lineup. Tony Fernandez, Joe Carter. Paul Molitor, Roberto Alomar, Ricky Henderson, Devon White, John Olderwood. That's just eight guys right there. Those are eight really, really solid ballplayers. Tony Fernandez puts up nine RBIs in the series. Carter has eight. Paul Molitor, one of my favorite players ever, puts up as eight as well. Devon White, seven RBIs. Roberto Alomar has six. So these guys are going to be able to get on base. and They're going to be able to go against a very, very good pitching staff. So I think it's hard to find an advantage for either team because I think both teams pitching can match the other teams hitting with, I'm going to kind of give a slight edge to the blue Jays hitting over the A's hitting. Cause I think the A's were more of mashers that are going to wait to get guys on base and put it out of the park, out of the park. The blue Jays can do that as well, but the blue Jays are going to be able to play some small ball and move guys up with the, the speed that they have on their team and the aggressiveness uh, that they have and, and guys that are professional hitters, like I talked about, like a Tony Fernandez and a Paul Molitor. Yeah, it was great to see Tony Fernandez come back to the Blue Jays after being traded to the Padres and get a world championship. I'm really happy for him. He uh, passed away a few months ago at age 57. Tony Fernandez, 
Tribute, man. We miss you. You were a great baseball player, uh, one of the Dominican Republic's finest. And uh, actually, one of his teammates from the 80s, Demacio Garcia, died today. So they're both from oh, did he really? the same. Yeah, they're both from the same town. In he, was, Dominican yeah, he, Republic. Was, uh, he was also on the Blue Jays for years. Yeah. So that's uh, something. I don't know what's going on with that, but that sucks. Uh, but as far as the Blue Jays having a great offense, that at the same time, the same flip of the same token, you got to look at the off the pitching was horrible. The pitching had a 577 ERA overall for the series. The Phillies and the Blue Jays actually had a really good series. It was a tight series at times. There was an incredibly crazy game in game four where the Blue Jays won 15 to 14 <laughs> in Veteran Stadium. So the closeout game where Joe Carter hits the walk-off is always the most memorable part of the series, but it needs to be stated that the Phillies were gamers. The Phillies had three guys who – I know this isn't about the Phillies, but they had three guys in the top four in the walks in the National League with Darren Dalton, Lenny Dykstra, and John Crock. They all had 111 or more walks each. It was crazy. So, so they were a patient team, and I think that hurt because besides Juan Guzman, I don't know if there's many fireballers on that squad anymore. Dave Stewart was getting older. As we said, Jack Morris was gone. He was – he was pointless. He wasn't even in the series. He was on the team earlier in the year, but he was not a part of the postseason run for the title. Uh, Pat Henkin was coming along. Al Leiter was there. But these teams, these guys all struggled. They all had issues, and it was really up to the offense to bail them out. And I think it's impressive that they had two World Series teams with varying offenses. The 92 team had some different players that were, that were kind of cast aside so that new guys could take control ed sprague was more of a backup in 92 now in 93 he's more of a a a main role player paul molitor's added to the squad ricky henderson's added to the squad tony fernandez it's a different team than 92 offensively and they're uh i think they're better i completely agree with you what you said on last week's pod man you were right about that so in the end this comes down to pitching athletics Hitting, it should be the A's, but I actually give it to the Blue Jays. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think over a seven-game series, I mean, you talked about the Blue Jays' struggle with their starting staff in the, in the series. Uh, during the year, Guzman and Hentgen were both really, really good, and they were just trying to piece together starts between Stoudemire, Stewart, uh, and Jack Morris. I mean, Morris, he's 38 at, at this point. He's not going to give you much in the series. So I throw him out of this series. So let's say you're going Guzman, Henkin, and then Dave Stewart in a game three. So I think that has the opportunity to possibly be better than what it was in 93. And I think as a whole, this Blue Jays bullpen is really, really good. Danny Cox, Dwayne Ward, and Mike Mark Eichhorn were all very, very good during the season. Uh, so I, th- I think that helps them out. <sighs> the struggle here is, is wh- what would, what would the A's do in a series like this? What what would the A's offense be able to to, to muster up? I mean, is it just going to be Henderson and Lansford get on and then Canseco's got to put one out of the park or McGuire's got to put one out of the park? I mean, they, they they got guys like Dave Parker on the team too. If he's a guy who that could who could you know put the ball over the fence, this this is a tough matchup. I think I I certainly give the the hitting an advantage to the Blue Jays just because I think they're more balanced throughout the lineup and they're going to be able to win those close games if they have to. Exactly. When it comes down to the starting pitching, I mean, I, I mean, Dave Stewart 
was obviously much better in 89 than he was in 90. So Dave Stewart's your number one starter for the A's. You got Mike Moore there. Mike Moore had a really, really good season. After that, I think it kind of gets tough for them to piece together a hole within the series because they didn't have everybody healthy when they got to the World Series either. But Dennis Eckersley is obviously unbelievable. So I'm probably going to give the advantage to the Oakland A's. Is it a full line? A pitching staff where everybody's healthy you're going to have everybody there uh, for their pitching staff that would help out the A's so I, I give the advantage to the A's when it comes to pitching yeah the I think the bullpen is just as good for the A's or the Blue Jays Dwayne Ward I would take Dwayne Ward just as good as Eckersley has the bigger brand name but he's just as good as him so that's a wash this is a this is another challenge we are being presented with some Really, some doozies in this round. Folks, if you like classic matchups with great hitters, great pitchers, poor performances, how do you uh, how do you equate poor performances and put it into a situation to make a determination as to whether a guy deserves to be the winner or loser in a fictional situation? That's what's fun about this. Roberto Alomar had a hell of a series in 93. He was incredible. He was such a great player. I don't. I don't like that he's remembered for spitting in an umpire's face. That's unfortunate because he was a hell of a player, and I really liked watching him play. I think the Blue Jays are the better team, and I'm going to take the Blue Jays again. I just think they have every part, even while their offense was dominant in the series and the pitching was the in the shadows, if you will. The pitching was better during the regular season. I, I just think that they had a bad stretch in the series. And the 89 series for the A's, they won, but it got so messed up by the earthquake, taking 12 days off and playing, coming back 12 days later and having your first starter be able to pitch and your second starter go in game four. It's a very odd situation. So I don't know. I just don't know if we can get enough actual representation of actual reality from what we have on paper. So I'm taking the Jays. You know, I'd like to look further and to see what um... – was Steinbach the catcher for the uh, A's back in 89? Mr. Terry Steinbach was the catcher, absolutely. Do you have any idea if he was a good defensive catcher at all? Because I think the struggle that they're going to have is the Blue Jays are going to steal bases in this series. Roberto Alomar stole 55 bags during the year. Tony Fernandez, 15. Ricky Henderson, in only 44 games, stole 22. Devon White stole 34. And Paul Molitor stole 22. So this is one of the premier bag swiping teams in the league so that's going to put a lot of pressure on that pitching staff the A's and on Steinbeck behind the home plate as much as this A's team has always been considered just a dominant force I'm going to go with the 93 Blue Jays I just think this is a more well-rounded team and they're going to be able to come up with more clutch hits and be able to play more of the small ball when they need to when you're in a tough pitching matchup so I'm going to, I'm going to go with the uh, Blue Jays. Yeah. Steinbeck was a, uh, he was a serviceable, he got better, but in 89, he was not very good defensively. So that would make a difference. And I, I agree with you. I'm taking the Blue Jays as well. The Blue Jays ousted the A's in 92 when it was kind of falling apart. So that's the closest possible representation we have where these teams overlap, not perfectly, but it does help us a little bit. I'm just saying, so I'm going Blue Jays with you. I'm in agreement. Okay, so there's one final matchup, folks. We're down to the wire. It's the 2019 defending World Series champion, 
Washington Nationals, the sixth seed, taking on the 86 Mets. It's an NLE showdown. Nats, Mets. What do you think, Gary? These Nationals, we know that they're fresh in our minds. We saw what they did against Houston. That's the most recent series. Will Harris, et cetera. A lot of big clutch hits from Rendon and Kendrick and Soto. Is this team just as good as this Mets team, even though the Mets won a whopping 16 more games during the regular season in 86? This is a really, really tough matchup for the Nationals, but I think there's some cases you can make for them to actually make it a series against a juggernaut like the 86 Mets. What was so impressive about the Nationals is look at some of the starters that they beat in this series. You know, they beat Justin Verlander twice. They had to face Garrett Cole twice. Uh, they had just a lineup that was capable of just destroying the ball. They Not many games in this last, last year's World Series were close. Kind of both ways. Games, game six and game seven, they ended up being exciting because of the explosion of runs by the Nationals in, the middle, in those middle innings. Uh, but the Astros weren't able to score. So the, the Nationals put up seven runs in game six, seven runs in, in or six runs in game seven. Uh, they were prone to giving up a ton of runs as well. They gave up, uh, you know, four or eight in game four. But in game two, the Nationals scored 12. So they're going to score runs on you. Uh, you know, when you've got guys like Juan Soto, you know, you, everybody really got to see the special player that he is. Uh, you know, if you play fantasy baseball, you got to know Juan Soto as, as a big-time prospect. And if you watch a lot of Nationals baseball, you really saw him coming into his own as the season progressed. And this is a guy that just work, works, counts, gets on base. He had five walks in the series, seven RBIs. Adam Eaton, who, you know, he came over in the, in the deal with the White Sox, the Lucas Giolito deal. Uh, you know, he shows up in the series. He bets 320. Kind of like Howie Kendrick that betted was amazing all season long. He was able to put the bat on the ball. They hit a ton of home runs in the series. Adam Eaton had a couple. Rendon had two. Ryan Zimmerman put up put up a home run. And this Nats pitching staff, although it was kind of shaky in the playoffs and in the World Series, they got some studs in this pitching in this pitching lineup. When you have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. Corbin, uh, you know, had a really good series. Strasburg was unbelievable. 14.1 uh, innings uh, is the World Series MVP. Goes 2-0. That's a really tough three-headed monster to go at. And that would be really tough for the, the Mets to deal with, would be the pitching staff of, of the Nationals. So I think the Nationals pitching staff could probably hold their own against this Mets pitching staff. Uh, the thing is, is, is are, are the Nats going to be able to bat? Are they going to be able to put the bat on the ball? Because this Mets pitching staff was unbelievable during the year and really, really good in the playoffs. And the Nets or the, the Mets were able to show in 86, if they're down in a series, they can come back. They were down in the Astros series. They were able to come back in that series, uh, down in the World Series to the Red, Red Sox, you know, down to their last strike, and they were able to win. So this team's not going to give up. But I think this 19 Nationals team could put up a fight. Yeah, this is a matter of starting pitching. We know how fantastic the Mets pitching is. The Nationals have great starters. In the end, the offense is vastly superior, in my personal opinion, for the Nationals. Everything you just described, Juan Soto, Rendon, 
Kendrick and Eaton and it's a it's a team it's a team that deserves a lot of credit they have young guys Trey Turner was terrible he batted 160 in the World Series but he's young and he was still learning Von Soto was very young and he dominated so you never know what a guy's gonna do I suppose the offense hands down though goes to the Nats now pitching wise the consistency of the Mets staff deserves a lot of credit. Ron Darling, Bob Ojeda, Dwight Gooden was terrible in the World Series in 86. Roger McDowell, uh, he was a huge relief pitcher for them, pitched a lot of innings during the regular season in 86, had a 4.9 ERA, but he was used quite often in the World Series. Steve Giles' favorite, the Hawaiian, Sid Fernandez, had a 1.35 ERA. He did not start any games in the series, but he was great in six and two-thirds inning of a relief. Ten strikeouts. So in terms of the actual production in the series that each of these staffs played, the Mets staff looks a little bit better to me overall in the series they played in 86 versus what the Nats, though talented and probably capable of more, performed against the Astros in last year's series. So this is a... I guess the Mets would be assumed to be the choice because they had 108 victories. They won a World Series. But both these teams went to seven games. They were tight series. It was two games, two games, one and two. The Mets and the Red Sox had a 2-2-1-2 scenario in terms of winning streaks. And the Nats have scored one run for three straight games, was it? Right? (laughs) So that was a very strange time. And they were down 3-2 and it looked like it was over. So it was 2-3. Then two. It's very confusing. And though it may seem like the Mets for the regular season have the advantage, we're talking about the World Series. We're putting a focus on that. And I think that makes this a very close series. And I'm not really sure which way to go. Yeah, this one's this one's somewhat confusing to me. The the Mets offense, I mean, Daryl Strawberry doesn't do anything in the series. Gary Carter has a really, really nice series. And like Ray Knight, who's a bit player for the Mets, he that's 391 in the series series mvp they didn't hit a ton of yeah they didn't hit a ton of home runs in the series they were able to manufacture runs you know through guys like you know wally backman rafael santana uh, lenny dykstra bats 296 and has eight hits in the series the the mets bullpen uh jesse orosco and rick aguilera aguilera did not have a good series at all but jesse orosco pitched five and two-thirds he did not give up a run at all. They went with the three-man rotation. Uh, Darling uh, pitched three games, and he was incredible, 17 and two-thirds innings, 1.53 ERA. So he kind of matches what Strasburg does for the Nats there. Uh, you talked about Sid Fernandez. I think Sid Fernandez is, is kind of the X factor here because Sid Fernandez is a guy who was pretty much their number three starter throughout the whole year. He came out of the bullpen in the series, appears in three games, six and two-thirds innings, he only gets up one run. So that's going to be really, really key when you're trying to get to, you know, your bullpen and get to McDowell and Jesse Roscoe. If, if you need Sid Fernandez to come in and get you through the rest of the game, he probably can because he's a guy that can go four or five innings. So I think that's a really, really big advantage for the the Mets. But I, I kind of agree with you. This Nationals lineup, like, it has everything in it. They have guys that can get on base and, and walk a ton, uh, like an Anthony Rendon and Adam Eaton and Juan Soto. Guys that can come up with clutch hits like a Howie Kendrick as Drupal Cabrera. 
You know, you got a little bit of speed with Michael Taylor coming off the bench. Victor Robles, who who, who really did not have a very good series, but he's a guy that if, if you need him to steal a base, he can steal a base. So they got some speed there. So I think it's going to be really, really tough for this this Mets team, and they're going to be stretched out by by how hard the Nationals are going to go at them. But if Ron Darling has to pitch 130 pitches, he's going to pitch 130 pitches. So I think this – I mean, if you were to – maybe it's some recency bias, but I think the Nationals could give the Mets a series, and, and I'm actually kind of – Kind of torn on which way I want to go with this. Yeah, I think coming into this matchup, you thought the Mets were the clear favorite. But now that you look at it and you start to realize that the lineup of the Mets is scrappy, really. They have some talent. There's no doubt about it. But the Nationals have guys that are really high-profile, elite talents that have been brought up at a young age because they're so damn good. And in the end... This would be a seven-game series. I have a very strong confidence in that feeling. And when I start to look at it, I kind of like the Nationals in this series. I don't, I don't think you're uh, – you, you can make that decision. Yeah, that's fine. You don't have to be uh, <laughs> scared to make that decision. I think it's an okay vote. I don't think anybody would be going nuts over you unless you're a Mets fan. I don't know too many Mets fans out there. Oh, they're out there. Watch out. What's that? They're out, they're there? out there. Watch out. Oh, man, this is tough. You can do it, dearie. I mean, the Nationals were able to beat Garrett Cole. They were able to beat Verlander twice. And Verlander's a Hall of Famer. Cole is in, you know, has one of the most amazing seasons the last 10 years. I mean, do That's I see do I see Gary Carter having the same series when he has to face Strasburg, Scherzer, or Sant, or uh, Corbin, and then you still have Anibal Sanchez. Ah, this is tough. Okay, so let me look at let me look at this Nationals bullpen. I mean, what did this bullpen do here in, in the World Series? John Doolittle, ERA of zero, just fine out of him. Fernando Rodney, two innings, he gives up a run. Okay, so their relief pitching didn't pitch much in the series. It was basically these starters. Uh, Daniel Hudson pitches four innings. They, they didn't get a ton out of their bullpen, but I think it was a capable bullpen during the year. Oh, man, I'm going to – all right, yeah, I'll go with the Nationals too. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. You're listening live. You're hearing it now for the first time. It's the Plazo Podcast. Best World Series winner since 1980 bracket. Unstoppable force. So many fantastic teams. These decisions are these are tough, dearie. These are decisions that I don't regret. I like to think that in a world where we all have a vote, we're going to get the right winners in these matchups. But I don't know that that's going to be the case because if, a lot, if me and you had a struggle with a, several of these matchups, I think there are many people who will vote with mixed feelings. And it could be... It could produce maybe the round that is the most tight we've had so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking towards the next round and possible matchups, too. I mean, I think maybe the most intriguing matchup, if all were to hold twelve to hold true, at least in our world, which would require another upset by the Diamondbacks, would be the 84 Tigers against the 01 Diamondbacks in a, in a, uh, in a tightly contested quarterfinal matchup. That would be a really tough one to call. Wow. Um, yeah. There's a couple just tough calls here. I think we made a case for the Nationals. I think we've made a case for the Blue Jays. The bottom half of that right side of the bracket is just – I think both those are going to be pretty close. 
I think the 97 Marlins, I think their time might be due to drop out, but who knows? Maybe their voters uh, continue to come out. We need uh, we need the, the Orange Bird fan base to come out and maybe see if we can get one of the older teams into this bracket because most of these teams that are in this bracket, most of them, most of them are, are teams from the 90s and early 2000s. So uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, what decades are represented once we get to the final four. I can't wait, man. This is going to be exciting. I love seeing how these results play out. We got a whole week of voting ahead of us. Let's get them votes rolling, folks. We're going to get this podcast out so you can hear the words I'm saying now in real time. As always, it's the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. This has been episode 15. We're looking at the Sweet 16 of our World Series winners since 1980 tourney bracket. You can find us on Palazzo Podcast, 2Ls, 2Zs, Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. This has been quite an experience. Deary, I thought you put your best foot forward. I want to give you credit again for creating this tournament. It's been much more fun than I ever realized in the content it's given us so that we can pass the time during quarantine. You really saved us. Yeah, I'm super excited. I've, I've been having a blast doing this, just kind of looking back on, on history. It's brought back a ton of memories. Obviously, we're going to get back into some fantasy talk soon. Uh, I, I don't think we see an end to this quite yet. Uh, they've come up with a couple other ideas. They talked about Arizona and Florida being possibilities. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out over the next few weeks. Uh, but we're going to continue to do this bracket. And once this, once we have some kind of clearance of when we're going to know baseball is going to happen again, we're going to dive right back into uh, fantasy baseball hard. Yeah, we're going to we're going to do the. Uh... Elite Eight next week. Then we'll have the Final Four in the finals. And, and by May, we'll be talking fantasy again. I promise you that. That's where we're going. Thank you so much for listening. It's the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. We'll see you.